Stand by, everybody. No, what's wrong is I'm standing on this mark and that man is going to throw his finger at me and I'm going to have to say, welcome back. A definite trend is being set. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the IWMP podcast. Here on the Intermillennium Media Project is where you can hear a father drag his son back into the 20th century to watch TV and movies and other things that seemed really, really important at the time. My name is Matthew Porter, and with me is... Ian Porter, his son. And my dad has decided to strike me in my weakness. And I do not mean that in, like, weak to chocolate. I mean, like, the 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 stake to the vampire kind of destroying weakness. Yeah, I think we might have found your media kryptonite. Absolutely. So we've talked about a few different kinds of TV shows on the, uh, the IWMP. We have talked about uh, 80s made-for-TV cyberpunk. We've talked about crime drama. We've talked about UFOs. Uh, we even talked about Lidsville. One thing we <laughs> have defies That defies category. Yeah, that is its own category. <laughs> There's its own genre is Lidsville. But one thing we hadn't yet talked about is one of the more important genres in television, or types of television, in, in the history of television, and that is... The situation comedy. I mean, yeah, talk about something that is influential and is... It, it, this is going to sound... I, I am... As people who have been listening to the podcast might have picked up on, but it's going to be more prevalent here. I am a person who thinks in metaphor. And I've got a weird one for this, but it's something of how my mind works here. This is This is the stone that media has chipped away to the arrowhead at this point. It started out as this as this simpler thing with a vague form and has slowly technologically been sharpened down to a uniform size, shape, and point to achieve a specific function each and every time. That is the situational comedy. It starts as this more vague thing, and by now it has been it is being smoothed into this this utility tool. Okay, that is a heck of a metaphor. Oh, yeah. I think it's going to take me a couple of weeks to unpack that, but <laughs> I think I understand what you mean. In that, you know, sitcoms were a part of TV from very early on. You can go back well before my time. You go back into the 50s, you get sitcoms. And then, of course, um, you know, Desi Arnaz uh, invents the three-camera sitcom standard and kind of teaches the world how to make these things mm -hmm. uh, as well as he did. And then you know, they're off and running, and they're still hugely popular. And yeah, it's it's the same format, but it keeps getting adjusted and refined. I'm not yeah. sure that every refinement chips away. There's sometimes you see writers and producers building upon this base of the sitcom. Absolutely. But yeah, it is definitely you can see it's it's something that you can you can track its evolution. In a way that you can't do for many kinds of TV. And I might be just metaphoring it as a form of weaponry because of what it does to me. <laughs> I, I will completely, completely acknowledge that. My, uh, let me just get it that way. I am a person who is, I love witty comedy. I love quick thinking. I can, I appreciate the comedy of sitcoms of the, look what you got yourself into. 
but it also gets me on a I am I relate too much I get I get too much feedback kind of emotionally about what they're going through and we're watching episodes of this show and dad turns and watches as I shrink into the couch and little ball because I'm just like I can't handle this I'm laughing but at the same time no you absolutely any any sitcoms tend to rely on the humor of embarrassment mm-hmm. and I can just see you cringing away from that like hiding under the the sofa practically it's you know i can show you scary stuff all day oh yeah but something where somebody is embarrassed and that's sort of being played for laughs that like i said that's your kryptonite i, I have the show that we watched tonight isn't uh i love lucy no the, but i do remember that we have in the past tried to show you an episode or two of i love lucy and i thought we were gonna have to hospitalize you it was just that is all based on embarrassment, and it was not your thing. It was not my thing. I just, I can't withstand it. I will sit through the ring, and the first time I watched that, I had a notebook trying to figure it out. I went, like, scientific method on it. But I'm cowering under a blanket at the, in the face <laughs> of a sitcom. I don't know. So for anybody out there who does think that the whole premise of the uh, IWMP is some kind of, of, of misuse of my child... Be aware that we know when too much is too much. We did not make him watch any more Isle of Lucy once we realized the effect it was having on him. <laughs> it is an excellent show. I just... Just not your thing. Just huh? not my thing. And this one, this one I could go through. I could get through episodes. I could follow along. And it did show me something about how these are structured. So let's let people know what it is we actually watched this time around. Absolutely. We watched a sitcom that was one that I remember watching when I was a kid and it was being broadcast. I don't remember it from the very beginning of the series run, which was I was like five years old at the time. But I remember watching it as it was broadcast in some of the later seasons. And that's the Mary Tyler Moore show. And that is a, a classic a sitcom ran from like 1970 to 77 about that that run and an exceptionally well written and well uh, acted great ensemble cast and when it was was hitting on all cylinders it was just amazingly well done it is excellently made it is it is a great balance of humor that still lands now and slice of when it was and when it's depicting in terms of style without those seeming conflicting. Right. It was rarely very topical in its humor. So you don't need to be a scholar of 1970s American history to get the jokes. Some of its style, most of its fashion, all very, very 70s. Mm -hmm. But the humor plays as well today as it did then because it's about people and people haven't changed that much exactly and that was great and i i, I and just starting out the beginning of each episode i know i'd heard that theme song before i just didn't know it was the theme song to this it was one of these ubiquitous like i'd see it referenced online kind of oh yeah you get the pop culture thing and i just roll with it because it's a pop culture thing i might not be getting but now i'm like oh they're referencing this I can see why. I like it. 
I've talked before about how some of the shows that we're watching were like the first thing that I remember choosing to watch on my own because it sounded interesting. Other kind of firsts for my media upbringing. This is, I think, the first show that I watched when I understood that it wasn't just my family watching this TV show. Other people out in the world were watching this TV show, and it was having an impact on the culture in that way because other people out in the world might have a reference or understand a reference from something that was on TV a couple of days ago. And it, it really did have that kind of impact, or at least it seemed like it to me. I'm sure there's a lot more that did and, and of course, still does. But this is the uh, the first one that really informed me of the fact that media impacts everyday culture. I can definitely see that. This You were saying it's not topical, but I can definitely see it being mirror to a group of audience about what they're going through and what they're dealing with and what's in their environment. And that could get everyone on the same page to talk about stuff. Right. Even if it itself is not being topical. So the idea of contrasting this as not media to personal, but media to community. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's interesting. I, I can definitely see how this would fit in. And maybe the fact that it was also about media in some way. I don't, I'm not saying it was proto-Sorkin or anything, <laughs> but it was a TV show, <laughs> half of which was set in a TV studio. There's no... The, I'm sorry, those sets are not large enough to walk and talk. <laughs> That's right, yeah. There's only so many conversations you can have going back and forth between the newsroom and Mr. Grant's office. Oh, yeah. Although the idea of trying to set a modern circuit thing in one of those, and just having the people pace that much, could be fun. <laughs> we have to put a pin in this for our final questions. Absolutely. There's some ideas now springing to mind. So we watched several episodes of this show. That's one of the nice things about these half-hour shows when we do watch them is we have time to see several episodes, not just two or three of them. And what we did this time was we skipped around a bit, so we saw samples from several seasons from the, the pilot. We always watch the pilot if we can just to get a sense of how they were starting off. But we watched episodes from later seasons we didn't see any episodes from the very last season, I don't think. No, we didn't watch any of that one. But we went up through uh, season six out of seven. So we got to see, a, and some in between, so we got to see a pretty good cross-section uh, of this se uh, series. And one thing that is notable about this is it really does change over time, and the characters do change over time. It wasn't just... Everything is back to status quo at the end of each half hour. It wasn't a huge collection of story arcs like something more recent like How I Met Your Mother. But it did have some continuity and the characters did change. And Mary Richards, Mary Tyler Moore's character, does get promotions and her career develops and relationships develop. And she moves from one apartment to another. And it's interesting to see that because I think it gives it a greater sense of reality. If you're watching somebody for seven years and nothing changes, you lose any of that sense of reality. Yeah, it, it, it felt, and we didn't watch enough for me to completely say this is the pattern it was going, but it felt kind of like a half-season arc set. Like, at the, you, it would have a status quo up till the half point of the season, at which something would change a little, and it would move on. Because we saw stuff that was in the very beginning of the first season. We saw a little stuff later in the first season. 
And then I think we watched some stuff out of season five. And why do I think one of those episodes was season four? Yeah, I, th- I know we watched some from season five, some from season six. I think we might have dipped into season four at some point. We should keep better track of these. Uh, I haven't been doing that. Well, yeah, our, our, our watching was a little staggered this week, but it definitely still felt like it had that rhythm where there was a, a block of episodes you could kind of switch the order of at times. You could take a subsection and maybe move around a yeah, few episodes I guess in this. So. It was- but it wasn't. But if you couldn't move something from the beginning of its own season to the end of its own season, because things would have shifted somewhere in the middle enough to make that not quite fit. Right. It wasn't it wasn't a serialized story, but it did have enough change that you had to care about the continuity at least a little bit. Yeah. And that definitely worked. It definitely had more of a a feeling of you're actually seeing a slice of these people's lives for a slice of life sitcom in in its way instead of it being a a stage play that resets after the end of the day right it wasn't just a generic situation that sets us up for jokes mm-hmm. nobody ever suddenly had to go to work for in a candy factory or something it was all generated out of the lives that we had established for these characters that also definitely fits with Something that I found interesting about Mary Tyler Moore's character herself. Yeah. She is the central character. She's what we're, she's who we're all following. And she definitely has a personality. But I never felt like the camera was glued to her. Yes, she was the reason for following this, but she wasn't the only thing we were following. We were following this whole group of characters. Mm-hmm. Now, the first episode very much follows her more strictly. Right. And that's because they're setting it up. Her arriving in the new town, her getting this apartment set up, meeting her neighbor. Right. And that's a good place to start because that first episode really does set up, I think, what they expected this show to be. And I think it's one of those shows that evolved when they realized what they had and what a great group of actors they had. But very at the beginning, it really was much more centered on her and her particular situation which was not one I think you would have seen in many sitcoms, even from uh, a few years earlier. It was about a woman who had expected to get married to her longtime boyfriend, and he sort of, uh, after leading her on for a long time, told her, no, he really wasn't interested in getting married. So she decided to move to a different town, get a new job, and essentially start over. And even the theme song was all about you're on your own, right? Uh, you're, you're now out on your own, and the world is scary, but don't worry, you can make it. I didn't remember that version of the theme song because I only watched the series starting much, much later when it was all about you're a wonderful person, you make every day light up, and you make the world better. It wasn't about this oh my gosh, the world is scary, but don't worry, you won't die, which is kind of what the original version of the theme song was like. Yeah, the original theme song is like, has this like driving with fl- like half-opacity flashbacks going through. It, it's actually got this weirdly tense air before that chorus breaks in. Yeah, it was like all about what she had left behind. And I didn't expect the Mary Tyler Moore show to do something I expect from most anime instead, which is changing the theme song halfway through. That that <laughs> That's something I don't see in American shows. They either skip at the theme song mostly entirely, or they've got a consistent one that they can 
show their logo at the end. This one just kind of gives you the logo at the start and then changes it halfway through the series. I'm not... That's not from this. This is the other <laughs> types of media I watch. What is it doing in here? So you don't think they were doing this just so they could sell a lot more CDs, like for Rama One Half or something? No, but I could picture them doing that. <laughs> I could. Also, um, another thing to put a pin in, not for later, not for the end of our episode, but for the future, that iconic her throwing her hat scene. Oh yes, I'm. I, I'm supposed to be like taking this as this uplifting serious thing and all i'm thinking maybe i'm playing too much smash brothers again i think this is the third episode of reference that <laughs> i think so but uh i'm just thinking you know we've got a classic sitcom fighting game here and mary, mary tyler moore's character definitely has a neutral projectile which is throwing that beret <laughs> just do a fighting game with all the classic sitcom <laughs> characters is there still a working version of eternal fighter zero out there i think there might be because or at least mugen we could work we could yeah, make something we could create some characters <laughs> like that you can create the whole ensemble from from mary tyler moore and the other uh, mtm enterprises shows if any of you immp fans out there know how to set stuff up for that you know send us a message i might want to talk to you on this <laughs> Oh, and if, if if it's going to be the whole IWMP, we could start to mix and match and have you know, Mary Tyler Moore versus Max Headroom versus the magician from Lidsville. Oh, this works. This actually <laughs> works too well. But I guess they really had to change the theme song eventually because it was not at all about her trying to make it on her own later on the way it was at the beginning. And that shows how the show evolved and how we got to see these characters develop. Yeah, she she made it on yeah. her own, and right. now she was continuing to do. So in the beginning of the series, in that first episode, she's just come to the big city in Minneapolis from someplace that's uh, not too far away. I gather she grew up somewhere in the Midwest. I don't know if they ever tell us exactly where. But she comes to Minneapolis looking for a new apartment and looking for a job, and she gets a job at... Uh, WJM, local television station, in their newsroom. She uh, gets the job of associate producer, which pays less than the secretarial job that she originally applied for. And she meets this group of people who are there at the station. There's Murray, who's one of the writers, or maybe the chief writer or features writer in the newsroom. And there's Ted Baxter, Baxter the airheaded, deep-voiced uh, anchor man. He's he's suave and haha, but this, but like the after he gets past that, there is nothing but this childlike ah kind of to the entirety of his character, and it's delightful. It is, and you know we have other characters to talk about, but as far as Ted goes, it's an interesting change in the development because for most of the characters, they get a little more real and a little less cartoonish as the series goes on we start to see a little more substance in their personalities and their emotions and things with ted baxter i think it kind of goes the other way he becomes a little more of a caricature of himself and a little more at the very beginning he's kind of the i know just how cool i am almost a lothario type hi you haven't met me i'm ted baxter the anchor man welcome to my six o'clock news team and you're right, by the end, he's very much a a little kid who just wants to be able to join with the big kids. 
He's like the everybody's little brother who annoys them, but they can never quite get rid of him. What do you think about the Rams? Well, that's a lot of points, but they really played great in the preseason games. Yeah, I'm going to go with the Rams. Hey, football chatter, huh? I love it when you guys do this. Can I play too? Absolutely. In some ways, the fact that everyone else gets that little bit more real edge to their character development makes him not a a character missing something, but he becomes this symbol of this... There's optimism that a person like this can still get this far in this world. If this is a world that we've proven with these other people to be that little bit more real and that little bit more harsh, the fact that he can still stand next to them and be part of this group, and it doesn't break your perception of it completely, is hopeful. Right. And that's interesting. Turning Ted Baxter into that symbol of optimism that a guy like this can be out there and have these smaller things seem like the big problem to him. Not because he's completely ignorant, but just because he can be this uh kind of guy is nice. Right. He's not just childish. There's something childlike about him, which is almost refreshing and encouraging. Exactly. And it's a change I think they had to make given the longevity of this series because if he had spent all seven years being the I know just how cool I am and all the ladies love me kind of a character we would have hated him and we would have started out (laughs) hating him and continued to hate him instead we kind of you almost want to protect him from the world yes you want the the version of the character he later becomes you sort of want to protect him Mm -hmm. but the other character that she meets with this new job the person who hires her is the news director Lou Grant, played by Ed Asner. I like Ted, but he Lou's the best character. Yes. Lou is the the anti Mary Richards. Mary Richards is the character that Mary Tyler Moore plays. It was the thing at the time for any sitcom that showcased a particular actor. You give them a character whose first name is the same as the actor's character, but not the last name. I, I don't know why. Uh-huh. And there are others, you know, the Bob Bob Newhart show. It was Bob something else, and we'll 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 probably talk about the Bob Newhart show at some point. Oh yeah, because it's worth talking about, and possibly Newhart, maybe, maybe, Not sure. maybe, maybe that could be an interesting doubleheader show. Ooh, compare those two because they are connected. They are connected. But back to Mary Tyler Moore. Yeah, Mary Richards is this kind of naive, but has this get up and go and wants to, to build a life for herself, and. The person who hires her is this kind of jaded, rumpled, hard-drinking newsman who's now the news director at this local TV show, and that's a Lou Grant. And they are the antithesis of one another, and yet somehow they learn how to get along. You know what? You got spunk. Well, yes. I hate spunk. I mean, immediately in that first interview scene, it is it is these staggered answers to questions which result in the comedy, and that was that was a bit I, I loved. But it was being it was the fact that immediately they got into this rhythm that wasn't a an even dun 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 between them. There was something more almost jazz about the way it you know. It, like the offbeat on one person's performance yes. would immediately match the onbeat for another. So there was always 
they were always evenly keeping pace with each other in terms of acting and performance and comedy line delivery. But it didn't have to be rigid for them to play back and forth with that precision. And they, I think the writing really uh, was terrific for that. And these two performers worked very well together to make that, that happen. Mm-hmm. I could see other performers holding the pauses to make sure that things landed yep. differently. But these two would trust the other one to say the thing at the right time. And the other one to start up their next line with enough space. What religion are you? Uh, Mr. Grant, I don't quite know how to say this, but uh, you're not allowed to ask that when someone's applying for a job. It's, it's against the law. Want to call a cop? <laughs> Good. Would you think I was violating your civil rights if I asked if you're married? Presbyterian. <laughs> well, well I, I, I decided I'd answer your religion question. <laughs> Divorced. No. Never married. No. Why? Why? Mm. You type. Mr. Grant, there's no simple answer to that question. Yes, there is. How about, no, I can't type, or yes, I can. There's no simple answer to why a person isn't married. How many different reasons can there be? Sixty-five. Parts per minute. My typing question. And in terms of the characters, we talked about how the Ted Baxter character changes, but also becomes a little more of a caricature as things go on. I think the opposite happens with Lou Grant. He starts out as a very cartoonish, hard-drinking, rumpled newsman and becomes a somewhat more well-rounded character, well-realized character later in the series. Mm-hmm. So that was an interesting contrast between these two. Because, but I, But I think they needed a character with that much depth if it this was going to be the main character playing off against the lead character and they even almost subvert him in that beginning first episode because after getting the job and getting back home only to find out that the the almost husband the ex is showing up uh, at the apartment her boss shows up her new boss shows up drunk from his local bar and immediately wants to write a letter to his wife, which is, they've immediately turned him from being the serious antagonistic character you think into a, oh, no, you're a nice guy who we can immediately find endearing. And the fact that later on, the relationship between Lou and his wife deteriorates make that, makes that a little odd. Right. When I went back and rewatched that first one. Mm-hmm. But it's still, that was a great subversion of taking a character you thought would be the the negative force the entire time and turning it, no, no, this is not that cut and dry. Right. And they have some fun with that misunderstanding, too, mm-hmm. where... You know, Mary has this her her new boss shows up at the home of his new young female employee <laughs> to announce that my wife is away for a month and out of town. She thinks she understands why he's there. And then we find out he's there just because he's so sad. He misses his wife so much. <laughs> and, he's, and then there's this entire other emotional scene where she is re-rejecting the ex because of what goes on there 
and and kind of like cementing no i'm staying here and i'm doing this thing right she's gone beyond well if you don't want to get married then we need a little space so i can think about this now it's never mind the marriage i've realized you're not a good person so goodbye mm-hmm. and the entire time here's the here's her new boss in in the background drunk and typing away a letter to his wife on her <laughs> right. typewriter yes. it's an excellent little bit of framing mm-hmm. and then he gets to with the wisdom of drunkenness tell her that she's better off and that she's a good person and the boyfriend didn't know what he had that all came together very well and it did set up that connection between Mary and her boss, Lou, very well. Mm-hmm. And, and there's a second instance where they subvert that antagonistic character. You expect the, the other neighbor who wants the apartment that she's taken to in some ways be a rival character. But then also by the end of that, she's hanging out with her. And especially in the later episodes, they're just, they're, they're friends now off of this weird bonding experience so yeah that's one of the other two characters that she meets there is um phyllis i forget phyllis's last name who apparently was an old friend of mary's and helped her get this apartment and because she lives in another apartment in the same building with her husband and their daughter her daughter is like this you know village of the damned kind of character very creepy but funny in the way it's this deadpan very serious little girl. Yeah, one of the two girls of The Shining somehow yeah. wandered <laughs> off set and wound up in the Mary Tyler Moore show. And might have gotten a lollipop on the way. She's a little bit more chipper, but it's that sort of feeling. Yeah. And the other character is Rhoda Morgenstern, who is uh, a New Yorker who <laughs> has moved to Minneapolis because she couldn't find a place to live in New York. And she had her heart set on this apartment that Mary, that Phyllis helped Mary get. And they start out as... as total enemies but yeah by the second or third episode they're friends and they're having dinner at each other's house and they're they're confiding in each other about the problems with their love lives and all that oh yeah and and the fact that mary's character in the example of the office becomes the i don't want to call it completely cynical but the the harder-edged character in some ways. She's the, I'm here to do my work, and why are you all giggling around? We're doing, we need to do a thing. Right. And there's something about that. When she's in her apartment then, Rhoda gets to be the one bemoaning something, and Mary gets to play the other side of the comedic duo. That's great. It actually gives a wonderful balance. That's true, and getting to see these two different spheres in which Mary Richards operates is what helps us see her as a well-rounded character. Mm-hmm. It, it, that, that realism is the fact that it is, I mean, it's framed like a stage performance, as TV is. There's a fourth wall where the yeah. cameras are. But it's, it's able to move across them, and the stages have continuous but different environment feels enough that they can tell a continuous story across them but change what part of her life she's in and how she's relaxed across those. So that first episode really set up the ensemble, set up the characters and the, um, the environments in which we were going to see this. And then we start to see it very quickly grow from there. And as I was saying, the, the humor for a true situation comedy like this, the humor grows out of, the things that we've established about these characters' lives, like their jobs or their relationships. 
And there's a terrific early uh, episode that we watched where Mary is given control over an important broadcast, an election broadcast, where they have committed to their viewers and committed to their producers that they are not, they're, they're going to remain on the air until they can declare a winner in this local election. Mm. They've got advertising slots booked for this. It's going to keep going. We're going to get minute-by-minute minute coverage of the votes as they come in. And we've got Ted there, ready as the announcer until the winner is, read, is declared. Phone lines set up to... G- Get information faster if needed. Yeah, they're it, supposed to have experts coming in to comment on it and everything else. And the blizzard happens. Right. The entire city of Minneapolis is hit by this blizzard. I guess late enough that it didn't impact the election that much. But around the time the polls were closing, the whole city was shutting down. They, they lost their phone lines. They lost. I think they lost their power, but they had emergency power. So they were able to broadcast but they were not able to get a single bit of information. I, I mean, and of course, of course, this is a sitcom setup. You don't see a lot of windows. When they do, their snow budget is going to be less than their stock footage budget. So right. the snow suddenly <laughs> is not as bad when you're looking at a window, but it's still there. But they do a great job of setting up that atmosphere mm-hmm. and then keeping it going. And I mean, I'm I'm there cringing at the situation and everyone getting riled up but i'm laughing the entire time because watching ted who we've all who early on early in the series is set up as more of this i know what i'm doing breakdown right because they did establish that he may have the look and he may have the voice but he doesn't have the brains so he can read a teleprompter or a cue card but do not ask him to come up with his own things to say because he cannot Oh, they're, they're even saying he's messing up how to pronounce stuff off the cue cards, so that might be even a stretch. That's true. But he's not even good at that part. He's not even great at that part, but he, here he is, and he has to improvise. Oh, no. And they're on the hour. They're on the air for hour after hour after hour because they can't declare a winner because they can't get the information about the, uh, the polling information. And they can't go off the air until they declare a winner. So it's going past midnight into the wee hours in the morning, and he's just absolutely running out of things to even pretend to say to this camera. And they, they're they they're even able to keep that multiple frames of her life thing because she calls in her Rhoda to run the board of numbers. So they can still have her go off to the side and talk with Rhoda in that different bubble for a moment if they need to change and give a section for that they can pull her into attempting to do her job but not having the authority to do so and they can move around to watch other characters as they lose their minds on this (laughs) it's it's a great episode i you need that first episode to know who we're looking at but that was a great next episode to look at in terms of what this show is going to be and it's a particularly good performance by Ted Knight as Ted Baxter, watching him just go really go insane, having to ad lib hour after hour. And eventually they've gone on so long that the the priest who is supposed to be there to give the 5 a.m. sermonette, 
like managed to walk to the station. The clown who's going to do the kids show that morning shows up and they start to go on the air just to help out Ted. Oh, yeah. Well, it's him talking with priest. And then we cut to later and the priest is, is just out of it. Right. The priest has been on for a few hours at that point. And is, is, is burning out. And this is compared to Ted. And the clown only shows up when the storm is over. Uh, apparently the results have come out elsewhere, but their teletype and their phone lines haven't been fixed enough, so they don't have that info. Oh, that's right. The clown can bring them the, a newspaper. The clown gets to walk out, and in the clown, like, it's Chuckles the Clown announcing the results of the election and then going on to do his show. <laughs> As Ted is like, I don't know, I I think collapsed and dragged away. I, I think we just cut away from him. Right. I don't remember but, the exact outcome, but it wasn't good. It but, wasn't uh, good, and... That right there was just such the such a little setup of the you know, clown gives their election results and everything kind of keeps rolling. Not return to status quo per se. More, well, that happened, <laughs> and that's not the last we hear of Chuckles the clown. No, we jumped later to the episode. Oh my goodness! One, one of I think the more famous episodes of this series <laughs> is in season six. When the the circus is coming to town and Ted is really excited because he's going to be the uh, the grand marshal of the circus parade as they open up. And then his boss doesn't let him do it. So they pick another marshal and the chuckle chuckles. The clown is going to be the the grand marshal of the circus parade. Which gives them a small amount of time to make great jokes. Is a clown at the circus? This is going to be ridiculous. Who, yeah, I hope who's everyone gonna... laughs at him. <laughs> no, hope, yeah, I hope they laugh. Yeah, it's like they get to run those small gamut of jokes, and then they go into a, a turn I was not expecting or ready for. Things don't turn out well for Chuckles. Something terrible has happened. What is it, Lou? Someone we all know is dead. Chuckles. Chuckles the clown is dead. It was a freak accident. He went to the parade dressed as Peter Peanut. (laughs) And a rogue elephant tried to shell him. Oh my goodness. So the whole episode is dealing with the fact that Chuckles the clown has died. And here they are, the news department of the TV station where Chuckles did his show. And they've, they're trying to announce this news in the most dignified way they can. They're trying to put on some memorial programming. And, of course, most of the people involved either <laughs> are just bewildered or cannot keep a straight face. It, 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 for a moment... And this is a great sign when a show, especially a sitcom, can set up what seems like an obvious uh, path for them to do their story on. If you think that you can predict the entire rest of the script from there, and they can swerve into something that is reasonable for the setup and still funny, that's great writing. Because it means that they can acknowledge the, the trope and then not fall into it. For a little bit, I thought they were going to just spend the entire episode... With Ted, grateful for Lou for taking him off of this and thinking he was indebted for him saving his life. And they breeze past that into this other vein of comedy I didn't expect them to deal with. <laughs> I thought they would shy away from how far they go into talking and repeating about this. But they go in there and they 
they do so, and somehow this show still remains respectful to a character who they kill off <laughs> by and, making a point about the fact that it's what he would have wanted for the, everyone to be finding this funny. He was a clown. This is what he loved doing. They're yeah. great at that. Somehow they kept respect for a character they created after killing him off and did so creating an episode that has a storyline I wouldn't have expected them to go for anyway. Yeah, they really made us care about, well, this is what Chuckles would have wanted. Yes. It's like, am I really thinking about this when I'm – yeah, I am. This is what Chuckles would have wanted. I care about honoring Chuckles' memory as a viewer of the Mary Tyler Moore show. I. That's exactly it. I was bewildered they were able to so cleanly do that. My my notes actually just stop at a, wait, what? <laughs> Upon when they, they announced the Chuckles died and then I write – I start writing – Oh, Ted's going to be, and I didn't finish the sentence in my notepad here because they they move on, and I was, I'm just kind of adrift following them at this point. And it was kind of meta having a comedy TV show talk so much about humor as a defense mechanism against thoughts of mortality. Yeah, a lot of it was Murray, the features writer, and was kept coming up with these jokes about a clown in a peanut costume having been killed by an elephant. It's just inherently funny, and he keeps coming up with jokes, and he and Lou keep cracking up about this. And Mary thinks this is very undignified, and they really should be uh, um, solemnly remembering the legacy of Chuckles the Clown, and it's not appropriate to be laughing so much. And they're explaining to her, you know, well, it's it's human. It's a release. It's a defense mechanism. It's good psych class. <laughs> right. In yeah. the Mary Tyler Moore show. And she is completely against all this, this um, humor at the expense of the dead until the funeral. And every comment about how Chuckles lived and died, she suddenly realizes in the middle of the funeral how absurd and funny all of this is. <laughs> And that's where we get into a little bit of the humor of embarrassment, but still, it's so well done. Oh, yeah. That, that's when I was wrapped up in the blanket, but still laughing. And and the bit where it's the, oh, you laughing. It's okay. He would have wanted that. He wouldn't have wanted you to cry. He'd want you to laugh. And they actually get so serious there, she starts crying again. Right. Yes. Which is funny on the fact that they've just <laughs> somehow made this not funny. Right. And to cap it off, at the very end, after the funeral, when they're all talking about mortality and how they want to be, what kind of funeral they want and all this, Ted starts saying, you know, I would want a big, involved, fancy funeral if I were going to die. <laughs> and then he starts explaining how he he starts explaining cryogenic preservation, and he's made arrangements to, if he falls ill with some potentially uh, uh, fatal illness he's going to be taken off and frozen and thawed out uh in a few hundred years later when they figure out how to cure whatever it is he was going to die from and this i'm sure is the first i encounter the whole concept of cryogenic <laughs> preservation I mean, uh, which has been plenty of the books here on, on the bookshelf yeah you've <laughs> but uh but i i thinking back yeah mary tyler moore show is probably the first exposure that i had to the whole concept of of cryonics i probably need to go take a couple of screenshots of uh Ted Baxter in like his different little facial states because I'm excellent, excellent face actor. He could pull so many different emotions so visibly on that that mask. He could for himself. 
I need to pull some pictures because that moment was the the online galaxy brain meme <laughs> for me, where it's like he goes from these simple things to this wide, massive idea of how he's dealing with mortality. And I'm like, wait, okay, then. Hi, Ted. <laughs> I'm just sitting here blinking, not sure what to think about the man anymore. So we watched several episodes of this show, and we kind of followed this progression. Uh, certainly the pilot, you're only going to be able to watch a few. The pilot and the one with Chuckles the Clown are, are two of the, the best to seek out. But the last one we watched was one of the ones, I think I remember seeing the Chuckles the Clown funeral episode when it was originally aired. I definitely remember seeing the football betting episode when it was originally aired. Oh, and another excellent one. So, and that's the last one that we watched. And this involved, it was different in that usually any given episode takes place over the course of one day or maybe a weekend. Mm -hmm. This one took place over the course of an entire football season. We'd get a scene, and then it was the next week. We get another scene, and it's five weeks later. So it starts at the beginning of football season, and it ends on Super Bowl Sunday. And especially based on what you then told me, it felt like that was understood by the writers as a way to catch them up with present day. I guess so, yeah. Because I can see if they're doing these and these are supposed to, it takes this long to make an episode. But an episode is only covering this amount of time. You're going to slowly lose time trying to keep up with what's actually going on. Yeah. Which either means you have to imply large gaps in which I guess nothing was interesting enough for your camera to be existing. Mm -hmm. There's, there's nothing going on interesting enough in our main characters lives. So we didn't show you it. Or you have an episode like this that eats up that lost time, that buffer of something that's longer in order to keep yourself current and if they were trying to do that, I wasn't. I'm not sure, but it's it's fascinating to think the math on that. Yeah, I wonder if that was was a conscious plan or just they had this story, and this is the structure that fit the story. This is mostly a Lou and Ted episode. This is yeah. this is Mary as not audience surrogate, but she's kind of the Greek chorus in this one. She occasionally yeah. pops up and comments, but the story is really between Ted and Lou. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the great strengths of this. These characters are fleshed out enough, even Ted Baxter, to carry an episode like this. Yeah. So the basis of the story is that Ted is a gambler. And this is, I guess, in the 70s, gambling addiction and alcoholism were funny. So you see a lot of that in these. Well, they start... And they, 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 they actually talk about that. They actually though. talk about that and, and throw some some pointed comments at the entire thing. They do. Through Mary. That, that felt like she dropped some of the character and into her own opinions and comments as a producer-writer to the show with her name on it. Yeah, that may be. And uh, but um, Lou is betting on football, and he's ta talking some things over with, with Murray, even though Murray does not bet. And Ted, uh, excuse me, um, Lou bets on football and does not do very well. 
But Ted, in this kind of excited little brother way, wants to talk football betting with them. And you please let me stay and talk with you about football. He doesn't know anything about football. But eventually they humor him and they let him stay. And Lou kind of explains to him about betting on football games and what a point spread means. And Ted sort of gets the hang of it. And he thinks about it and comes up with a system for betting. And his system, actually, it wasn't as ridiculous as some I've heard in TV comedies and such. Actually, pretty good statistics. Yeah, if you're going to have a system, it's not the worst in the world. It was... He would only bet games in which the point spread was, was it more than 11 points? Was, uh, yeah. Yeah. He would only bet on games where the point spread was more than 11 points, and he would then bet on the underdog. And and, and they actually ask, why 11? It's my lucky number. So, (laughs) I mean, there's still that kind of Ted Baxter style to it all. But it was the idea, well, they're all professional teams. They're all going to be playing at a certain level. So you pick a certain place in the point spread, you're more likely to win by taking the underdog and the points than going for the favorite. And he doesn't win every game that he bets, but he's consistently in the black week after week. (laughs) Again, in TV land, sure. I don't know if the 1974 or 75 football season would have actually borne that out, but there it is. There's probably somewhere at least one uh, statistics professor with a paper on it. Just You're probably right. Yeah. I could definitely see, like, oh no, I'm I'm taking statistics. My my roommate is um um you know a media production, and we both write a cooperative paper about this <laughs> one episode because we can both submit it, and it's in a journal somewhere. I bet I gotta look up the that journal thing. of statistics and media analysis or something. I can see this happening. That would be amazing. It would if it's if it's not written. I I want to go see if I can find someone who would be interested in it. And Ted starts this out just for fun, so he's not even actually placing bets. He's just writing down uh, before the weekend what his bets are going to be for all that weekend's football games, and then he sees, you know, how how well he would have done. And he says, "Okay, let's say I'm going to bet fifty bucks on each game," and he's able to show after a few weeks how far ahead he is. That Lou hooks him up with his bookie, and he starts putting real money on it, and then. As a few more more weeks of this go by, and Ted is actually making money, and Lou keeps losing the way he's betting, Ted says, why don't you come in with me, and we'll both bet the system, and we'll both make money. And Lou does that. And sure enough, they the system keeps working, and they both make money, and Lou's not happy. That's the brilliant thing. Lou's not happy. It's showing the fact that the the money-winning portion of it wasn't the reason Lou was there. And that might be a good thing, might be a a thing to know it also might be part of what is an issue that should be acknowledged and they they talk about that yeah he has lunch with mary and she explains to him with this weird um no not too weird but this um long and involved illustration from her life as a, a high school <laughs> cheerleader is it how pom? is it pom pom is it right. pom 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 <laughs> <laughs> How, you know, once she wasn't in control of it, once she was it, she was doing it under somebody else's direction, going to football games and cheering wasn't as much fun anymore. Lou may, may be winning, but he's not in the driver's seat. He's not controlling his betting, so it's not fun anymore. 
Mm-hmm. And that that was an excellent scene for that because they discuss it and they still kept it funny with this long drawn out story that meanders but gets to its own point. The fact that, and this is going to be stepping back out of the story to the the meta of it a little, the fact that they'd, at this point, Lou was no longer with his wife. And now they're going to this lunch together. And it definitely set up a different type of dynamic between them. And part of it is because we jumped forward for me to see this so so starkly. I think it it would have been more natural and more organic. And we didn't watch it, but I saw that the episode right before the final episode was Mary and Lou going on a date. Yeah, I don't remember that at all. I have to imagine that the idea seemed to make sense at the time, and by the end they realize, well, this was a terrible idea. We're good friends, and that's all we should be. I, I assume that's it, because especially because of what else I know about the show and how that goes on, and we'll talk about that. But the fact that they were there was some of that dynamic already in by that episode actually was, I feel kind of taking me out of that scene as good as it was. It felt like it was something that I see a lot of sitcoms do, which is trying to force a, a piece of a narrative that doesn't actually line up with what they set up first. And the Lego bricks don't click that way. Right. This is not, this is not a legal build at that point. (laughs) This is starting to get get a little odd. And I, I didn't like how that went. Maybe if I'd watched more of it, it would have made sense. It would have flowed naturally. Yeah. But jumping episodes, that the fact that it's not status quo every time can cause those moments. Right. You wonder, well, how did we get from there to here? Yeah. And there is an answer. But if you don't know the answer, it's a little jarring. Mm-hmm. Because ultimately, they... they come to a point where I think Mary and Lou are characters who are very different from one another, but they understand one another's personalities and they understand what's important to the other. And that can be the basis for a really good friendship, a friendship where you can both help one another and criticize one another when needed. Exactly. So in the end of that episode, they, they do return to status quo a bit by not allowing these two main characters, these two important characters to have a financial gain that they that might affect them in any way because they they find a way to clear that entire thing out to prove that this is about what he does lou bets all of their combined winnings on the super bowl and fails right ted figures well the season is over we're not even in the playoffs and such we're not going to get any more games that have a big enough point spread for the system to work so we're putting the system to bed for the season but lou in response to what mary said about being in control of the bets takes all the money that they put in together in the system and uh, and bets on the Super Bowl, like you say. Mm-hmm. And and we do uh, in this episode, we also did get to see uh, more of. And I only saw a little bit of Ted's girlfriend. Yes, his girlfriend, who he, he does marry uh, later on in the series, Georgette, Georgette, who is a fun, fun character. Fun character. I gotta say, when I put together the fact that Ted has a winning uh, betting strategy with consistent gains, his interest in cryogenics, between his personality and Georgette's, there's just something in my mind imagining them as like having large amounts of financial windfall by the end, <laughs> and there are these people back strange investing some of these scientific things you hear about later, and... These these seem like a a pair of characters who have very different media impact later on, but I can see it all. 
you can almost see them like investing in the right dot com at the right exactly the right time 15 years later 20 years later and getting out at the right time and just blundering into millions that way oh yeah oh i was i they, someone said the internet was doing well so i looked down the list and i started with a and i found this thing called amazon and i put some money <laughs> in it and it turns out it went great <laughs> and georgette is really in some ways a really good match for ted she is this very soft-spoken person with these bursts of incontrovertible wisdom that seem to come out of nowhere. Oh, yeah. I always like any scene where Georgette is there because you never know what she's going to say and how weirdly understandable and relevant it's going to be. It's that just right amount of wisdom and just the right amount of whisper that you're always a little bit nervous and scared of her. Maybe that's just me, but there was something about that. It's like, I am actually a little terrified that you're going to say just the right thing about the fact that you could destroy every person in this room. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I don't know. That makes it kind of a river song sort of. Um, kind uh, of. Uh, uh, river Tam or River Song or River Song's Doctor Who. Uh, Both? River, River either Tam. River? Yeah, River Tam, River either Song. River could walk into She's a room, a, say a line, and everyone would not would be scared. River, yes. so, yeah. And Georgette, maybe she could kill us all with her brain. I, don't, I know. don't know, but it's that right sort of level. Yeah. And another character we saw a little bit of in the episodes that we watched, but she appears more uh, in the series than we saw, is the kind of homemaker tips show person from the the tv station played by betty white my goodness that's a very it's that is a character that i understand on the track of her career but is a a a sight to behold in in action and this character is great it's the sweetly smiling viciously obnoxious character and betty white just has that down perfectly oh yeah honey dipped knife to the back and and especially she's she's that way to everybody but Murray, who they've demonstrated is kind of the, the fairly quick-witted writer, she and Murray are always after each other. And uh, that's, I think, um, one of those places where the writers of the show are storing up some of the wit they can throw out between these characters. Oh, yeah. It allows, the, it allows you to put two characters in the room talking about something serious and have those other two firing jabs at each other across this other conversation <laughs> to keep the humor flowing right. if you want to balance it out. So having seen this show over the samples of it over the course of most of its run, does it seem dated to you, Ian? Does it? Uh, are there things about it that surprised you? Or does it seem like it's something you could see today? It's something I could see today, I think. There's plenty of it that would have to be modernized, in part because of just technology stuff. The The flow of information, situational comedies, I think, do have an issue when you can't have someone not know something in a place. You lose an entire window of some of that humor. But a lot of these situations didn't even deal with that. They were great about working with everyone knowing everything and that still doesn't give them an answer. So I could definitely see this still working now. Yeah. You would have to change some of the plot details for them to make sense in 
2019 versus you know, 1975. But you wouldn't have to change the characters, and you wouldn't have to change the way they interact. Mm-hmm. And even some of the, the styles are coming back. Some of the ways the, the suits and some of the color sets they were showing are popular enough in returning. They are They are not dated in terms of design language. Yeah, your mom, Mrs. Darling Wife, was was with us uh, when we were watching some of these, and she actually had me pause the show so she could point something out and say, am I crazy, or is that suit something you could go and buy today and wear, and it would look pretty good? And sure enough, the type of fabric, if you narrowed the lapels a little bit and straightened out the pockets on the jacket, which had this weird 70s angle to them, you could wear that today and it would be fine. Yeah. It's it's not even dated in that sense. It is it's it's very well balanced in terms of that all. But I think this is kind of leading into our main questions here. It is. It's leading into those questions, but I think that separate from those questions is to wrap this up the discussion of the episodes acknowledging what what uh, impact this show had on TV and on the culture in that the way it portrayed a woman like Mary Richards, the way a woman like Mary Tyler Moore was so involved in creating the company that produced this and then went on to produce other TV shows, it really had a, a tremendous impact. And I don't know if you're aware of this, Ian, but you mentioned the scene from the beginning where she's standing on the, the street corner in Minneapolis and she's throwing her hat in the air in celebration. Yeah. There is a statue of that <gasps> You're kidding in me. Minneapolis, in the Nicolette Mall in like central uh, Minneapolis near downtown. There is a, a statue of Mary Richards throwing her hat in the air, more or less the place uh, where she was in the right, same coat and everything. They modeled it after the TV show. That is amazing. And it is fun. I've, I've gotten to go there and I was so, it was so charming to see that <laughs> because it really was one of those shows that where the, the, you could move it to a different location, but it was proud to be set in Minneapolis. And I think Minneapolis is proud of it as their TV show. So it's kind of fun to go see that. That, that just, it sounds awesome. Yeah. They actually had to move it when they were doing construction on Nicolette Mall, and they, it was a big deal when they moved it back to its true home. Oh, I like that. And if you look at it in terms of the the structure of a sitcom, this thing had two spinoffs that were sitcoms. It had Rhoda and it had Phyllis, according to its Wikipedia page. That's right, it did. Her two best friends from her, not from her work environment, from her, her home environment were spun off as separate TV series. Mm-hmm. And then it had a spinoff that's not. Right. Well, yeah, I think we are getting into our final questions here a little bit. But you're okay. right, it had another one. Do you want, do you want to state the questions then? Yeah, okay. Well, we'll take our questions in a slightly different order in that case. One of the questions we ask about each one of these series is revive, reboot, or rest in peace. And again, Revive is, we'll bring it back and everything that came before is still canon, whether you're reviving it with the same characters or with a new generation or something else, it's truly continuing. Reboot is, we're taking the same idea and we're starting it from scratch, re-envisioning it, reimagining it. And Rest in Peace is just, you know, we don't need to make this again, so we're, we're going to let it be. 
it's complicated by the fact that certain things were done with Mary Tyler Moore and its cast of characters. Absolutely. The biggest complications are the show Lou Grant. That's right. The apparent drama spinoff starring Lou after the final episode of that on to a next job. And the fact that they apparently did a reunion movie. Oh, that I didn't know. There's apparently a Mary and Rhoda reunion movie from 2000. Wow. I had no idea. Yeah. The Wikipedia page is a strange, strangely rich vein here. I'm going to have to take a look at both of those. I remember seeing some of Lou Grant because my parents were kind of a fan of the show. Kind of a grudging fan of the show, I think, because it was too liberal for them. Oh. But they, uh, I know they watched it. And yeah, talk about something where it's the same character who, at the end of the Mary Tyler Moore series, spoiler alert. <laughs> okay, uh, you've, you've, you've had a chance to go away if you don't want to be spoiled. At the end of the series, like everybody, I think, except Ted... Baxter uh, is fired and has to go off and do other things. And the Lou Grant series follows Lou as he goes kind of back to his journalism roots and becomes city editor for the major newspaper in some city. It might have been Chicago. I don't think it was Minneapolis. Well, that could be wrong. I can go check. But, uh, but yeah, it's a serious drama about an urban journalist and the reporters who work for him. It's not what you would expect as the sequel to a comedy like Mary Tyler Moore. Mm. Oh, he goes to Los Angeles. Oh, he's in Los Angeles. Oh, that makes sense. So many things are set in L.A. because it's, it makes it easy to film. Oh, yeah. But, yeah, the, the fact that that already exists kind of does make it weird because the world then keeps going for in the Mary Tyler Moore universe through that. And then they apparently... Re- restore it again with a point later on that we don't know we gotta watch that two hour am abc tv movie <laughs> of the I reunion of uh, the reunion thing the but that makes me think revive that makes me think keep it going i mean oh a universe this robust why not do something else in the mary tyler moore universe and, and this doesn't mean it has to be mary tyler moore characters directly but give us something else at the station give it this the station still trying to stay relevant now and i mean maybe that's maybe it will still seem fake if you're just trying to ride off of the recognition but maybe the fact that there is history will make certain of those stories have more impact and your options are wide open because if they could go from a comedy like mary tyler moore and in the same continuity go to a drama like lou grant what is the next one going to be? I mean, you know, po- magical realism, cyberpunk, who knows? It could be anything. <laughs> I, we're, we're, okay, I'm pulling that pin out that you said before. What's that? About um, uh, a Sorkin walk and talk. Yes. But you have just mentioned cyberpunk, so now I'm realizing that if we can do it right, you could have a Sorkin revival of the Mary Tyler Moore show that if you could do it right could lead into Max Headroom let's loop this whole thing back together where somehow it's this company trying to be on the rise gathering up the other ones it becomes a major network and the dystopian future arrives and somehow we just wrap this all into an Ouroboros you know how you do it 
you thaw out Ted. Oh my goodness, it's you're right. It's absolutely within continuity that hundreds of years from now, when they can cure whatever was going to kill Ted Baxter, they thaw him out. So it's a 20th century newscaster in the 23rd century or something. Is he going into journalism? Is is um, is reporting this mysterious thing that just isn't done anymore and nobody actually goes and researches news and reports on it and he takes his anchorman skills and what he learned from his friend Lou Grant and he changes the world by becoming Edison Carter I guess talk about I think he's running the station I think he's with a big wig talk <laughs> about a guy who'd be willing to put Edison Carter with his camera running around yelling at his at the company he works for, it'd be Ted if he was in the manager's chair. So Ted Baxter running Network 23. Yes! I like it. We, I, we've got it. We've we, got it There's here. our answer. It's, I, it's uh, Revive. <laughs> it's Mary Tyler Moore slash Lou Grant, the next generation, colon, the Ted Baxter files. Oh my goodness, this guy. Yes, I love this. <laughs> Somebody greenlight this. Someone greenlight this. If you wanted to do a reboot instead of this brilliant yeah, yeah, revival, but... <laughs> then sure, hire Aaron Sorkin. Absolutely. But no, give us this this revival. <laughs> I want the future Ted Baxter. Future Ted Baxter of the future. Yes. And so, that and so yeah. that's the answer to revive, reboot, or rest in peace. The other question we always ask is binge or no binge. I think the answer to this one is obvious, and it's binge. Yes, yes, it's binge. It holds up. It really it, holds it, up. It absolutely holds up. I, I want to see the other stuff to see if it's worth following the binge into the other things. Yeah, I think you'd have to assess those separately. And I haven't, I, I don't think I ever watched Rhoda or Phyllis. And I watched a little bit of Lou Grant, and it seemed like a pretty good run of the mill drama. Yeah. But yeah, you'd have to assess those separately. But as a, as a sitcom, and as the person who can't sit, through sitcoms it's it's a gr- it's a good sitcom yeah they're kind of squirm coms for you yes they're squirm coms for sure um grab grab the blankets to to curl into a into the field position behind and a cup of coffee and then be ready to laugh uh, but yeah it it's great i just can't withstand it <laughs> so we'll binge, but we might have to do it in relatively small doses. I need, I need medicated doses with rest time, <laughs> but binge, yes. Okay. <laughs> well, I think we have our answers then about uh, Mary Tyler Moore. I think we do. And we've opened up a new genre of television for the IWMP, the first sitcom we've watched. Yeah. I'm sure we'll see more. And we've kind of built the IWMP, uh, the multiverse here, that we're as we slowly connect everything we're watching together in That's some right. weird way. So we'll be back in a couple of weeks talking about some more 20th century media and what uh, Ian thinks of it and how it looks to me coming back to it after so many years. Uh, until then, you can reach the podcast at immproject.com or you can reach us on Twitter at immpcast. Uh, and where can people reach you, Ian? I can be found most places as item crafting, be that at item crafting on Twitter or my item crafting website. Uh, it's itemcrafting.com, is that yep, right? Itemcrafting.com. And uh, you can reach me on Twitter at by Matthew Porter, 
Or you can just go to my website at MatthewFPorter.com, and that'll link to anything else I'm doing online. So thanks for joining us. Uh, Like I said, we'll be back soon. Until next time, go find something new to watch.